tonight I'm going to share with you a message entitled The Loud Cry. And um, so let us pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you once again. We have the opportunity to come together to worship, to fellowship, to learn more of thee. We do ask that you will grace us with your presence. And Lord, help us to have our thoughts heavenward. And Lord, forgive us of our sins. And God, please help us to recognize what a wonderful God we have that is doing all that he can to bring us into a saving knowledge. Bless, I pray, me, dear Lord, in a special way that you'll help me to speak the words of life and to speak only those things that will uplift and challenge each one here. Lord, help me never to compromise the integrity of the word, to speak the word with boldness and clarity. Now may your angels watch over us and keep us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think what I want to do is just um, read just a few statements um, leading up into the loud cry, dealing with some of the issues of the preparation necessary for the latter rain. As you know, the early rain is to overcome your sins. It's the time to cleanse your soul of those things that are contrary to the will of God. Latter rain has nothing to do with overcoming your sin. You, you understand that, don't you? Right? No, maybe. Yeah. Well, the latter rain is not for overcoming your sins. You cannot be a recipient of the latter rain until you first overcome your sins. And uh, so um, the early rain is for victory over your sins. To bring you to the point where you are now ready to receive the latter rain. The latter rain has a multifunction purpose. One, obviously, to help the people of God to stand through the last plagues and the time of trouble, Jacob's time of trouble. Also to give power to the final message, the three angels' message, the loud cry, and, uh, and so forth. And it is to bring the saints to the full maturity. In other words, they've already perfected their character, but it's a... If, as, bringing them up to a complete, full ripening for the harvest of, of God. But let me just read to you a few statements um, from the servant of the Lord on this. This is Testimony to the Church, volume 5, page 214. She says, quote, Not one of us will ever receive the seal of God while our characters have one spot or stain upon them. It is left with us to remedy the defects in our characters, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Then the latter rain will fall upon us as the early rain fell upon the disciples in the day of Pentecost. Now, what's interesting about this statement is, one, obviously the fact that we will not receive the seal of God while we have any sin, uh, known sin or practicing sin in our life. That we're not going to receive the seal of God. There's a fatal delusion among some who believe that we'll keep sinning till Jesus comes. Well, for some people, as a matter of fact, the most people of the world, that's exactly right. They'll sin till Jesus comes. They just happen to be the lost. You know, not, they're not among the saved. They're among the wicked. So that's true. There will be multitudes who will be sinning till Jesus comes. But if you expect to get to heaven, you've got to stop before probation 
closes. And um, so one spot or stain will prevent you from receiving the seal of God. Now what is else is what's interesting about this is that it's left, she says, it is left with us to remedy the defects in our character. Now, she didn't say that we had the power to remedy the defects in our character. She didn't say that. She says it left us to remedy the defects in our characters in the sense that we have a responsibility. See, God will not do for you what he's left for you to do for yourself. Do you understand? God's not going to do your part for you. So don't expect God to come down and... Uh, do your repenting for you. God's not going to do your repenting for you. You have to do it. And uh, if you um, want to, you know, one time I was doing a crusade in, um, for the Iowa Missouri Conference. And I had this one lady come up to me one time, and in the end of the, one of the meetings, she, she started crying. You know, she was really upset. And she said, I, Can you help me? I, I said, well, what's wrong? She said, you know, I have a habit of smoking, you know, and I want to give it up. And she was an Adventist, and she wanted to give up the smoking. I said, well, why don't you tell me how you stop smoking, or at least, you know, your your method of stopping the smoke. She said, well, I'll take my, the cigarettes, you know, and I'll crush them and soak them in the water and whatever. She said, but I'll take two or three and put them on the shelf of the closet just in case. I said, well, you, I said, you can stop your testimony right there. I said, uh, I said, there's your problem. I said, you're planning to fail. You're making provision for the flesh. Now, God's not going to come down and take those three cigarettes and haul them out of the house. You've got to do it. You have a part to play. If you've got a problem uh, uh, drinking, guess what? Stop going to the liquor store. If you've got a problem with your mind wandering in areas where it should not wander, maybe you ought to consider what you're watching and what you're reading. You know, you're going to have to stop doing certain things. You know, and there are some things that are actually in of themselves, they're not sinful. But because they may lead you down the wrong kind of a path or maybe cause something to happen in your life, you know, sometimes some things that are good have to be cut out of your life. Not all cases, but sometimes it has to happen. So we have to understand that we have a part to play. It's salvation by cooperation. Now, we don't like that idea because, I mean, let's face it. I mean, uh, what would be easier? To have God do everything for you? And sit back on a lounge chair, soaking up the sun? Huh? Or you, sweating by the brow of your face, you know, and getting out there and doing something. So, we've got to remember that we have a part to play. We've got a responsibility. She says, when these things, th she says, then the latter rain will fall upon us. Then. Now, by the way, let me make this clear. Whether we participate in this or not, the latter rain's coming. Yeah, yeah, I've mentioned this, I think, a couple of meetings before. The latter rain is going to come. It's going to fall. 
But we have to understand that we have a part to play if we expect to be recipients of the latter rain. Jesus is going to come whether we're ready or not. Evangelism, page 702, she says, The latter rain will come and the blessings of God will fill every soul that is purified from every defilement. It is our work. It is our work today to yield our souls to Christ that we may be fitted for the time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, fitted for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is our work. We have a work to do. It is up to you to decide what you're going to do. You know, and sometimes it's not easy. It's not easy sometimes. Sometimes we have to do things that are, well, maybe unpleasant to us. Maybe some things we don't want to do. Listen, what, righteousness is doing that which is right. Okay? Righteousness is doing that which is right. Now look, righteousness is a principle, not an emotion. In other words, we do right because it is right, not because it feels right. Do you understand? You do what's right because it's the right thing to do, not because you have a good feeling about it. Look, you do what's right even if you don't feel right. You do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. That's righteousness. But we've relegated the issue to an emotional issue. Well, I've got a way to, I feel right and then I'll do right. Well, you'll never do right. We've got to remember that righteousness is a principle. Now, don't misunderstand me. Love is is a motivating factor. I do what's right because it is right, because I love to do what's right. Not because I feel right, but because it's the right thing to do. And we've got to come to grips with this. But we don't. We, uh, as a people, we don't. Not as a people. There are exceptions, no doubt about it. There are people who want to serve the Lord, doing what's right, reforming their lives, changing the way they live, making, you know, they're serious about their Christianity. But the vast majority are not serious about their Christianity, even in the Seventh-day Adventist church. The vast majority are not serious. There are many statements that clearly indicate that uh, the, the greater portion of the Seventh-day Adventist church will not go to heaven. Now, that's very clear, that the vast majority of the end-time churches in the world. So, you know, it's left to us to remedy the defects of our characters. We can be a part of the finishing work. We can, but it's up to you. You've got to decide. Testimony to the Church, Volume 1, page 619. She says, I was shown that if God's people make no efforts on their part, but wait for the refreshing to come upon them and remove their wrongs and and correct their errors, if they depend upon that to cleanse them from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit and fit them to engage in the loud cry of the third angel, they will be found wanting. The refreshing or power of God comes only on those who have prepared themselves for it by doing the work which God bids them, namely, cleansing themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Pretty clear. 
I think. So you're going to have to make changes in your life if you expect to be a recipient of the latter rain. You're going to have to make changes. I wasn't raised an Adventist Christian. I wasn't even raised a Christian. I come out of the Catholic community. And I, I tell you this, um, you know, I was into drugs, alcohol. I did, you know, I was a drug addict, an alcoholic. I mean, I was, you know, whacked out by the time I was 18. My life was a complete wreck. But when I heard of the Seventh-day Adventist message, you know, my life changed radically. And I remember one of the hardest things for me was uh, the keeping of the Sabbath, you know, because I was used to going to nightclubs. I mean, you know, I wanted to go out and party. And Friday night, man, let me tell you, that was party time for me. And I remember sitting in the Sabbath all alone, many a times, all alone, thinking, man, whew, I mean, I want Jesus, but this is, this is tough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have to tell you, I, 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 you know, I gave in to temptation one time. I, I know I was so bored out of my mind. I mean, I just can't tell you the, the I didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? I thought to myself, man, I'm, there's no way I can live my whole life this way. There's no way. So I remember I drove down to one of the nightclubs I used to go to. It was a Friday night. All the, all the while I'm driving, <laughs> you, you probably heard the same voice. Son, you know you're doing wrong. You've heard that voice before. I think we've all heard it. Don't tell me you ain't heard that voice. Please. So I remember driving, but I remember saying to myself, uh, as I was driving down the road, I just kept thinking, man, uh, I, I got to I gotta talk to somebody. I got, you know, I fellowship, something, I, you know. So I drove into this nightclub, and uh, I sat at the bar. And I ordered my beer, and uh, I took a couple of sips out of that beer, but I tell you what, that was the, the most, one of the most depressing moments of my life. I looked around and saw everybody. You know? You know, when, you, when you're in the world, you really don't notice people. At least you're not observant in terms of human behavior. You're just interested in the carnal things. So you don't care about, you know, what people really are doing in life. But I sat there with, with uh, as I saw people just drunk out of their minds and you know, whatever was going on. And I thought to myself, man, this is no place for me. This is no place. So I left the beer on the counter and I walked out. Well, I left. And I was never back. I've never been back to any of those places. But, you know, I came to the conclusion, you know what, I, I had to do something. And um, I remember one of the faults that I had uh, is I kept hanging around my old drinking buddies. They were good people. Now, you know, there are a lot of decent people out there in the world just don't know better. They just don't understand life. I mean, spiritual life. doesn't mean they're premeditated murderers. Uh, it just means they just don't understand about living a moral, ethical, spiritual life. 
But I remember uh, coming to the conclusion, if I'm going to live a victorious life or at least try to live a Christian life and, you know, and have some go at it, I'm going to have to even cut them out of my life. And I knew some of these guys when I was in elementary school. I mean, we're not talking about I knew them for five years. I told when I was nine, seven, eight years old, I knew these, some of these fellas. And they just say goodbye. But I kept weighing out what I used to do, what I was like before, what my life was like versus where I am now. And let me tell you, there was no competition. And so I decided they got to go. Now, don't misunderstand me. If I see him down, you know, walking past in the streets or in the shopping mall or somewhere, I'm going to say hello. I'm not going to be rude or obnoxious or belligerent. I'm not going to be, you know, ignorant in that way. You know, I'm going to say hello. I'm going to still be friendly and kind. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm not going over. I'm not going to hang out with them anymore. Just not going to happen anymore. And sometimes you're going to have to do that. Sometimes you're going to have to cut friends out. That's just the way it is. Changes have got to be made. It's not enough to, you know, we, we, look, what's the point of coming here this weekend? We talk all weekend long. Yep. Get ready. Yeah, Jesus is coming. Praise the Lord. Aren't we having a good time? Let's sing a hit. And then we go back to where we've, you know, been doing the same old, same old. So what did you do? You spent three days doing what? Proving what? That you're just a hypocrite. That's all you did. I could have did that at home. What, I have to come to California to, you know what I'm saying? I could have stayed home in Maryland. There's a work for us to do. We've got to get busy. What do you say? Now, look, there's no mistake about it. We have a responsibility. But the Bible says God will work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But you've got to place yourself in a position where he can work his will through you. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. I'm going to read you now some statements on the loud cry. Let me get to this because I know my time is... Um, cutting kind of short here. Um, you know, when you think of Acts 3, uh, Peter's sermon, and there clearly indicates, talking about the latter rain, there in verse 19 and so forth. And then you cross-reference over to Revelation 18, 1 through 5. There you have what? What's it describing? Revelation 18, 1 through 5. What's it? It's describing the loud cry, no doubt about it. Describing the loud cry. But both of those prophecies in, in Acts 3 and in Revelation 18 go together. Obviously, the one opens the way for the other. The latter rain, the loud cry. And... Um, but I want you to listen to what Servant Lord says about the loud cry and when it will thrust forth to the world. Because, see, when you look at Revelation 18, it says the earth will be lightened with the glory of God. The whole earth will be lightened with the glory of God. Now, you can better well believe that when the loud cry goes out, Satan isn't just going to sit there and take it. As a matter of fact, just as a point of reference, you go to Daniel with me, to Daniel 11. 
Daniel 11.44. And if you look there, it's going to pick up on the loud cry. And I want you to show you what Satan's going to do. In other words, you're going to see the correlation between the preaching of the three angels' message, the loud cry, the Sabbath message, all of this coming into play. Look what it says in Revelation, or excuse me, Daniel 11:44. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Now, this direct reference to the papacy. Going to trouble him. Going to make him upset. Why? Because this message is going to undermine his authority. The three angels' message challenges the authority of the Pope. It challenges the authority of Satan. And, uh, and so he will, he will feel that message come upon him and it will trouble him. It says, therefore he shall go forth with what? Great fury to destroy and utterly make away many. Persecution is a critical element. People have often wondered and said, well, when, when, you know, when is it going to happen? When are we actually going to get our act together? When are we going to go out to the world? Look, we are no different than the Jews of old. When did they ever go out willingly to the world and preach the gospel? That's right, they never did. They never went out. Never. Never. Not once. You look back at the Old Testament history. God pled with the Jews, go to the world, go to the world. They refused. They refused. So what did God do? What did He do? He put him into captivity, didn't He? He sent him into captivity. And who did He do? He went and He sent the e- Egyptians. He took them in. Now what's interesting, look at this. You look at Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and pagan Rome. What were they? They were, they were world powers. They were world powers. Now, Egypt and Assyria weren't to the extent of Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, and pagan Rome. We know that. That's for sure. No doubt about that. But still, they were very dominating powers at the time. Very powerful nations. And why did God allow these nations to take the Jews captive? Why not another nation? Because these nations were, as it were, the hub of the wheel. The world rotated around these nations. What took place in Egypt would take place in a vast spread of land all over the the region. What happened in Babylon would take place all over the then known world. And Medo-Persia, Greece, and pagan Rome. Listen to me. God said, if the Jews won't go to the world, I'll bring the world to them. I'll take them captive and I'll force you to witness. I will place you in a position where I will make you tell them the truth. And that's what he did. What we fail to do in a time of peace and prosperity, we will have to do under the most forbidding and discouraging circumstances. Do you know that? We're no different than the Jews. Don't you know right now, don't you? Look, we have, uh, as the brethren would like to say, you know, we're a corporation. I don't like to use that word. I, can you imagine? I hate to think of a church as a corporation. It sounds so dry and lifeless. You know what I mean? A corporation. So unspiritual. I like to consider ourselves as a movement, a movement of destiny. But the brethren, you know, they like, they, they want to call themselves a corporation. And we've got literally billions of dollars in assets. You know that, don't you? As a Seventh-day Adventist church, you know that. You're aware of that, don't you? But not millions. I said billions. Unfortunately, the brethren are too interested in figuring out what stock to invest it in. 
They say, well, we're preparing for, you know, the minister's retirement fund. Listen, just get me to heaven. I'll be my compensation. You follow what I'm saying? I'll retire there poor. I don't care. I'm more than happy to sleep on the streets. You follow what I'm saying? I don't care. It don't matter to me. If we wanted to, if we wanted to, if we wanted to, we have the financial means to buy one hour of primetime TV on a Sunday evening. If we wanted to. And presents the three angels message. And I mean clear cut, no uncertain terms of three angels message. And let me tell you, when that program was over, that's assuming even the networks would even allow it to be finished. But when the, when the, when the program was over, the next day you would have the wrath of the dragon. We can do it. We can finish the work. We can. But the vast majority don't want to. Sister White says this in Testimony to the Church, Volume 6, page 401. She says, when the, persecu- when the storm of persecution really breaks upon us, and you know persecution works in stages. I mean... Persecution can come in many forms. I mean, for example, you know, when we usually think of the word persecution, automatically our mind goes to physical. You know, we think of being physically harmed. But let's be honest, you can be persecuted with words. Right? Isn't that true? Sure. You can be persecuted with words. You're not physically harmed. You may be emotionally or mentally, you know, challenged in terms of the persecution of the words, but you're not physically harmed. But nonetheless, it's still a form of persecution. When she says when persecution really breaks upon us, Listen, you're beyond words. You're in the realm of physical now. And uh, if my memory is right, I think it's Maranatha 199. I think the servant Lord, at that time, many martyrs, many martyrs at that time, many martyrs, many of God's children have to lay down their lives. When the storm of persecution really breaks upon us, then will the message of the third angel swell to the loud cry and the whole earth will be lightened with the glory of the Lord. Well, why? Why will it then be done? Well, because we refuse to do it. And so what happens? Sister White makes a very interesting statement. She says, today we are not noticed. She says, but this will not always be. The world doesn't recognize suddenly. See, today it's Al-Qaeda. Tomorrow it's you. Don't you understand? People think, uh, it's amazing to me how some of the Adventists are oblivious to what's really going on in the world. Holy ignorance uh, about the political uh, arena. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not asking you to walk around with a George Bush button uh, or whoever you want, Clinton or whoever you feel you, you're polit- politically affiliated with. But, that, you know, but look, here's my point. We ought not to be ignorant of the political system and what goes on in regard to the laws of the land. You, we ought to know what's going on. We ought to be on the forefront of what's going on. But the laws that are being passed today will come to haunt us tomorrow. And if you think otherwise, you are absolutely in a dream world. It's amazing to me. One time I was sitting in a church in the Sabbath school lesson and then when the, the first Patriot Act was passed, you know, Patriot Act 1, when it was first passed, I heard this elderly Adventist gentleman sit there and says, 
I don't mind giving up my freedoms if I can be, you know, keep me a little safe. I, I think it's wonderful we should be kept safe if I give up a few of my freedoms. I sat there, I just, uh, I could have been a rocket. You could have, if you could have harnessed my energy, trust me. <laughs> I was so infuriated at that statement. I, I, I wasn't going to sit silent. No, I raised my hand. I was going to make a comment. And uh, uh, I said, that statement implies that our freedoms are the problems. That that's what's causing us harm and danger. So in order to keep you safe, I've got to take away those freedoms that are preventing you from being safe. Well, that's insanity. What kind of ludicrous thinking is that? I mean, that is absolutely, you know, I think we need to teach in, from elementary all the way up, even maybe even younger than that. We need to teach a subject called logic. You know, rationally thinking something through, methodically, from cause to effect. Because I guarantee you, most people have not an ounce of logic at all. I mean, not an ounce. Well, I'm more than happy to give up my freedoms to keep me safe, as though your freedoms were causing your danger. This is crazy. Freedom has never caused any danger. It's those who hate freedom who have caused us danger. You know, old Ben Franklin. God bless old Ben. Yeah, I hope we got some... I don't know about you, but he's one of my heroes. Oh, I, I, I admire Ben Franklin. Oh, yes. But I'm going to tell you, old Ben said, you know what? If you're willing to give up your freedom to be safe, you neither deserve your freedom nor your safety. Hear, hear from Mr. Ben. God bless Mr. Franklin. You see, he had logic. Persecution breaks. It'll force us in a position to testify. That's going to do one of two things. Let's be honest. See, look, today, right now, at this moment, nobody's hurting us. Nobody's harming us. You come to a meeting like this, what does it cost you? All right, a few gallons of gas. Big deal. You know, in the Bible, in the New Testament, when the Bible says, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, you know, the evangelicals use that as a predicating factor. Say, that's all you got to do to be saved, just believe. You know, in other words, just acknowledge Jesus. Yeah, you're saved, that's it. You're born again, boom, it's done. They don't understand the context of that statement. You go back and read the context of why they said... Uh, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You understand the meaning of that word believe. Because in those days to believe meant the moment you believed, you could be put to death for that. Friends, God's people were being put to death just by simple, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To openly profess that you are a follower of Jesus Christ could cost you your life. And I'm going to ask you this. In all honesty, not, I'm, I, ask your own, I want you to ask yourself. If there was actually a law on the books right now, a federal law that said, if you profess the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to put you to death. Would you profess the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you? It's easy to do it now. Nobody's threatening your life. You thump your Bible, you sing your hymns, you pay your tithes. So what? 
What's it costing you? Nothing. But you put a price tag on it, your head, then we'll see if you'll sing your hymns. One time, it's a true story, during the former Soviet Union, these uh, Russian soldiers, uh, they were sent by the KJB and obviously to stamp out Christianity and the Soviet Union. They found out these group of Christians meeting together at a certain building all, you know, every week. So they were going to perform a raid and obviously kill them. So the Christians had assembled. They were singing, gathered together, praying and studying the Bible. And unknown to them, all of a sudden the front doors just blew open. I mean, just per- and in come these stormtroopers. They're just rolling in with all their shotguns and, or machine guns and whatever their guns. They're just rolling in. They, everybody obviously is in a state of shock, which you can imagine. And they tell the people, they say, we want you to line up against the walls facing the walls. And, of course, they do. They've got no choice. They line up facing the walls, and, and, uh, and all of a sudden they start hearing the guns loading, you know. You can just cocking the triggers and, the, and everything's getting. So they're thinking, well, obviously that's it. And then the captain of the guards, uh, the soldiers came, and they said, uh, I'm going to give you a chance to save your, yourselves. You're going to have to deny the Lord Jesus. If you do that, I'll let you walk out. So, one by one, people started denying the Lord. Until there was just a little group left. And then the captain of the guards told one of the soldiers, he said, I want you to lock the doors. Well, naturally, you're thinking, if you're there, well, what's that for? You don't want any witnesses. You're going to about to kill these people. You don't want anybody to see it. So they bolt lock all the doors. Nobody can see. Nobody knows what's going on now. And when the doors are bolted, and when they were all locked and secured, then the captain said, now we know who the true Christians are. Let us sing and praise hymns to God. See, these soldiers wanted to worship God, but they wanted to find out who were the real Christians. They didn't want to worship with hypocrites. (laughs) We don't know who we are until a trial comes. You may think you know who you are, But you don't know yourself until you're tested. You know, Peter thought he knew himself, didn't he? And we love Peter. God bless Peter. But let's be honest. Poor Peter before his conversion. I mean, that fellow was... um, I mean, he had good intentions, no doubt about it. But, you know, good intentions don't make you a Christian. But Peter thought he knew himself, didn't he? But Peter didn't know himself at all. You don't know who you really are until you are tried. Then we see what kind of character you have. See, today we're all nice with one another. We laugh and we smile. Hi, how are you? Good to see you. God bless you. We're so glad to have you. 
Well, if you total your car or some other event takes place in your life and I come walking by, you're going to say, God bless you, Ray. It's good to see you. What a wonderful day it is. Now, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean you're happy that your car got wrecked, but you're being tested. What kind of character you got? I mean, if you fly off the handle and start cursing and What's that say about you? I'll never forget a story of this one girl. <laughs> she was dating this, this boy. <laughs> Fellas, you may get, after I tell the story, you may be tested on this. <laughs> this one girl, she wanted to see what kind of a, this man was. You know, she was dating him. And uh, they were getting pretty serious, maybe obviously serious in considering marriage, you know, that kind of a thing. She wanted to know what kind of, what kind of character did he really have. Well, see, it's easy to... You can say all sweet things all day long. I mean, you know, all day long. That doesn't mean you know them. So she wanted to go on a picnic. She, she planned this. Here's what she did. She wanted to find out what kind of man he was under pressure. So she devised a plan. She said, we're going to go on a picnic. He said, fine. She said, but uh, we're going to use my car. Now, unbeknownst to him, uh, he, she, she allowed the needle, the, 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 the gas gauge, you know, to run all the way down to almost E. I mean, it was barely making it there. And uh, the destination, she knew, she calculated based on the mileage of the, per gallon, she knew that there wasn't enough gas to get there. Um, for safety reasons, I, for her, she put some gas in the trunk. I wouldn't recommend that, by the way. Not at all, but I'm just telling you what she did. So she put a couple of gallons of gas in the, in the trunk of her car. He didn't know any of this, you see. So they get in the car, they drive down the road, and all of a sudden, you know, they run out of gas. So she wanted to test to see what he was like. What would he do? I wish I could finish the story because I'm not sure what he did. <laughs> but you see, it's under pressure. It's when trials and tribulations come. Then that's the kind of person you are. You see, I would hope to pray to God he passed the test. But... Um, I don't know. Sometimes people don't. And I think it's a good thing that you should test the person's character. You should watch. You should be observant. What kind of person I got here? You know, Sister White says, women, when you're looking at a man, how does he treat his mother? That's true, you know. I mean, if he's yelling at his mother, God have mercy on you. Persecution will bring us to a position where we will testify. We will testify. When will we finally get our act together? When persecution breaks. That's a sad commentary. You understand that, don't you? That is a sad commentary. But it is reality. Now, there are exceptions, no doubt about it. 
she's speaking in the generic form in terms of the church as a whole. You understand that, right? This is not speaking of individuals. There are those today right now, as Sister White says, there are Enoch's in this our day. They are doing the will of God. They're not waiting for persecution. They're not waiting to suffer. They're going out right now doing the will of God. But as a people, we will not do it. Early writings, page 33, she says, At the commencement of the time of trouble, we were filled with the Holy Ghost and we went forth to proclaim the Sabbath more fully. At what time? The time of trouble. We went forth to proclaim the Sabbath more fully. Bible Commentary, volume 7, page 985. She says, This false Sabbath is to be enforced by an oppressive law. Obviously, what referring to what? Sunday laws, right? This is Sunday laws. Satan and his angels are wide awake and intensively active. But while Satan works with his lying wonders, the time will be fulfilled foretold in the revelation that the mighty angel shall enlighten the earth with his glory and will proclaim the fall of Babylon and the call of God's people to forsake her. So it, again, you see the time framing, don't we? When will these things come to pass? When you see Sunday laws, when you see persecution, then you're going to see these things come to pass, things starting to fulfill, things uh, being uh, brought about. Uh, in Revelation 18 and the loud cry and the preaching of the Sabbath and so forth. When these things take place. As I said, once again, we don't have to wait individually for such a time. We can do it now. Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 984. She says, as the members of the body of Christ approach the period of their last conflict, Jacob's time of trouble, they will grow up into Christ and will partake largely of his spirit. As the third angel's message swells with a loud voice and as the great power and glory attend the closing work, the faithful people of God will partake of that glory. It is the latter rain that revives and strengthens them to pass through the time of trouble. Their faces will shine with the glory of that light that attends the third angel. It revives and strengthens us to go through that time. That's what the latter rain's going to do. Testimony to the church, volume 7, page 17. She says, as the third angel's message swells to a loud cry, great power and glory will attend its proclamations. The faces of God's people will shine with the light of heaven. Review and herald. December 12th, excuse me, December the 13th of 1892, she says, as the end approaches, the testimonies of God's servant will become more decided and more powerful. You know, I'm sure we've all heard good sermons in our life, at least at one time. But we have never heard a real sermon. When the latter rain falls, you're going to hear a real sermon. Hopefully you'll be the one preaching it. But I mean, you're going to hear a real sermon then. A powerful message. Man, if Pentecost could move thousands in a day, what will the latter rain do? It's going to be more abundant. We know that. We're told that. It'll be greater, not equal to or lesser than, but greater than the day of Pentecost. Great Controversy, page 611. She says, the work that will be similar to, excuse me, the work that, uh, 
the work will be similar to that of the day of Pentecost, speaking of the end time, obviously. As the former rain was given in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the opening of the gospel and caused the upspringing of the precious seed, so the latter rain will be given at the close for the ripening of the harvest. Great controversy, page 464, she says, Before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth, there will be among the people of God such a revival of primitive godliness that has not been witnessed since apostolic times. Now, again, there's that parallel. I go back to what I say to you. Look, just the same way in which they uh, prepared themselves for the early rain, so uh, the day of Pentecost, so we must do the same. It'll bring us back to that apostolic purity. You've got to remember back in those days, when you look back in the terms of the Acts 2 and 3 and so forth, you look at what they were doing towards one another. Notice, I want you to study the behavioral attitudes of God's people. Look, study just from that perspective. And here's what you're going to find. You're going to find people making restitution, you know, apologizing and making wrongs right to the best of their ability. But they went beyond that. They went beyond that. We know for a fact that if somebody was homeless, they were invited into their homes. They were taken care of. If you didn't have any clothes, they gave you clothes. They provided for you. They fed you. They took care of you. They brought you in. They didn't look at you as though you were some distant individual, you know, just someone they knew, you know, from a distance. They considered you a brother and sister, literally, as a family member. Stronger. I think actually really, spiritually speaking, I think spiritually the bond should be stronger than physical family. I really believe that. It should be a closer bond. A, a, a link to us. And, and so the God's people were making sacrifices. They were providing for the physical needs. And they weren't asking for interest. They didn't charge anybody rent. If somebody needed something, they gave it to them. Say, hey, brother, take it. Yeah, more power. God bless you, man. You need it. God bless you. And those who were asking for clothes or food. Listen, they weren't thinking of selling it. You understand? They needed it. They weren't selfish in their requests. Great Controversy, page 611, 612. She says, The servants of God with their faces lighted up and shining with holy consecration will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven. Hasten from place to place. By thousands of voices all over the earth, the warning will be given. Miracles will be wrought. The sick will be healed. Signs and wonders will follow the believers. Satan also will work lying wonders, even bringing down fire from heaven in the sight of men. Thus the inhabitants of the earth will be brought to take their stand. Imagine the climactic moment. Thousands of people, by thousands of people all over the world, God's people will run from one place to the next, warning the people, telling them and preaching the three angels' message, the loud cry. Satan too will perform miracles, and as God's people will also wrought forth many miracles. But let me tell you this, friends. In the end time, at the end time, what will be the great test? What will be the great test? Will miracles be the great test? No, miracles will not be the great test. What will the people of God do as the evidence that they are really proclaiming what is right? What will they say? What's the, what will they always require? What? A thus saith the Lord. A thus saith the Lord. A thus saith the Lord. And let me tell you, when this happens, miracles will be wrought. Satan's going to counterfeit and at that time, spiritualism 
unlike anything we've ever noticed or witnessed in the history of mankind, Satan is going to perform the crowning act. We are told uh, from the sword of the Lord and great controversy that Satan will personate the disciples. Do you know that? Yes. The disciples will be personated. Now, think of this. The climactic issue will be what? Sunday Sabbath. Isn't that right? Sure, it's going to be the Sunday Sabbath issue. Now, of all the apostles, who's the number one apostle if you've done any evangelism, if you've done any kind of Bible studies, if you've gone out and witnessed or anything at all, and you, and you have dealt with the Sunday Sabbath issue? Who's the number one apostle that you always go to to, to, to deal with this issue? Now, evangelicals will, will, will always quote it, but this is the issue. Who is it? Is it John? No, it's, it's Paul, isn't it? That's right. It's, it's Paul. He is the number one. The number one. Now, friends, let me tell you this. If, if you're Satan, the smartest thing to do is to personate Paul. Now, think of this. Just, just think of this for a moment. Here you are preaching the Word of God. You're quoting Paul. Colossians 2, 14 through 17. You're clarifying what Paul said. I hope you understand Colossians 2, 14 through 17. Please, don't give me the Bakayoki interpretation. Colossians 2, 14 through 17. Listen. Please listen right now. You've got other scriptures throughout the Bible, particularly from Paul, are, that are pivotal, critical texts. All right, now here you are preaching. You're preaching out of Colossians 2, 14 through 17. You're showing them that it's not the seventh-day Sabbath that was nailed to the cross, but the ceremonial Sabbath. Now, that's what you're stabbing. You're, you're anchoring, right? Here you go. All of a sudden, as you're preaching, all right, who's walking down the dusty roads of Loma Linda? Here comes Paul. Here comes Paul. And he, this demon who personates Paul, he says, well, Mr. Smith is a wonderful man. He's a sincere man. He's honest in what he's doing. But if anyone should know what I wrote, it ought to be me. I wrote Colossians. So don't tell me about what it means. I'm Paul. I wrote it. And now you're going to tell me what I wrote? You see, you're going to have to contend with that. You know what Sister Wise says we're going to have to do? When Satan personates Christ, we're going to have to tell the people, oh, you see that man? Yeah, you see him? Oh, he's not Jesus Christ. No, that's the Antichrist. That's Satan. What do you think that's going to do to the people towards you? Their anger will be so heightened to a fever pitch unlike anything you could ever imagine. But what do we have to do? We have to stick with what? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. You're going to have to anchor yourself. You know, your senses will betray you if you let them. What's the only thing that will prevent your senses from, from being deceived? What's the only thing? 
Yeah, it's the Word of God, but um, it, it, it's, 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 it's your mind in your faith of the Word of God, isn't it? Listen, you can be deceived in terms of your sight, your hearing, your taste, your feel, and all your senses, right? You can, that, that, you can be captivated. But your faith, your mind's got to be fixed on the Word of God. The Word of God's got to tell your eyes, no, what you see is not real. In other words, it's not true. It, yes, you see it. Yes, you hear it. Yes, I I feel it. Yes. But my mind says, no, it is wrong. Because the Word of God controls my mind. Listen to me. Never allow your senses to control your mind. You always must allow your mind to control your senses. My mother one time came to me. And we were talking, and I, I'd heard that she, her, her mother had passed away. And my mother never got a chance to say goodbye. And it really bothered her, you know, it really kind of bothered her. And I can understand. Never getting a chance to say, you know, goodbye to your mother. And so it, it really plagued my mother. And um, so one day, one morning, or it was an evening, a morning, I don't remember, but I think it was, uh, all of a sudden, my grandmother appeared to my mother. And there she was, talking to my mother. And my mother's talking back to her. My mother was angry, saying, Ma, you know, what did you leave, what, what did you leave me for? So, uh, I, is she going back and forth, talking? So when I found this out, I knew I had to talk to my mother. Now, it's painful for her and uncomfortable, obviously, for me. I got to tell her that you didn't see your mother. No, that wasn't your mother. You saw a demon. And uh, I did tell her because I love my mother. I don't want her to be deceived. I don't want my mother to go to hell. I don't know whether she'll make it to heaven or not. It's not for me. I don't know what, what, what her choice will be. I do know this. I do know this. She heard the truth. And that's up to her to decide. That's all you can do. You can't make anybody become a Christian, but you can tell them about being a Christian. They've got to decide. Miracles will be wrought. But we've got to stick to the Word of God. Now, we've got to cultivate that habit now, not when the crisis breaks. When you hear people preach or teach or your professors in school, don't be mindless students. Don't just sit there and be sorry saps and take in whatever they tell you. Challenge. And, 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 and you know, allow your mind to expand. Think for yourself. You know, we were talking about this earlier, my brothers and I. We were talking about being free thinkers. You know, independent thinkers. And that's what we need, independent free thinkers. What difference, I mean, if you go around, all you're doing is repeating what your professor said. All you are is a tape recorder. That's all you are. You're not, you're not a free thinker. You're just a tape recorder. Demand in your theological classes. Demand of thus saith the Lord. Demand it. Don't just say, and, and, if they, and if they say to you, well, now, look, you know, I'm the professor. And I'm just, well, listen, sir, I respect you being the professor. No doubt. I respect you. But uh, I'm sorry. I want to thus saith the Lord. Uh, you got to remind them of one thing. 
You're paying the college. The college isn't paying you. Isn't that right? I got news for you. If I hire you to do a job and say to cut my grass, you're going to come over to cut my grass? Believe me, if I'm paying you, I'm not cutting the grass. You're going to cut the grass. If I'm paying the college tuition, I'm paying the fees, I'm not here to do your job for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I get my money's worth. Review and Herald, December 24, 1889. I, 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 my time's up. Sorry about that, pal. I'll close with the. I'll close with a, one, two statements. When the crisis comes, many will be prepared to make a right deci- uh, to make right decisions, even in the face of the formidable difficulties that will be brought about through deceptive miracles of Satan. That's a beautiful promise. Many will even, despite the fact that the miracles will be performed, many will still make a stand for Jesus. She goes on to say, Although these will uh, confess the truth and become workers with Christ at the eleventh hour, they will receive equal wagers with those who wrought through the whole day. There will be an army of steadfast believers who will stand as firm as a rock through the last test. Amen. Great Controversy, page 612, she says, The message will be carried out not so much by argument as by deep conviction of the Spirit of God. The arguments have been presented. The seed has been sown, and now it will spring up and bear fruit. The publications distributed by missionary workers have exerted their influence, yet many whose minds were impressed have been prevented from wholly, fully uh, comprehending the truth or from yielding obedience. Now the rays of light penetrate everywhere. The truth is seen in its clearness. And the honest children of God sever their bands that have held them. Family connections, church relations are powerless to stay them now. Truth is more precious than all besides. Notwithstanding the agencies combined against the truth, a large number take their stand on the Lord's side. What about backslidden Adventists? Now, many a good people have backslidden. I mean, really sincere, decent people. But, you know, it's big. they go in, they come into church, and they see what goes on, and then they walk right out. Now, I'm not excusing their behavior because there's no justification for leaving the truth. Isn't that right? There's no justification for leaving the truth. Look, I said this to you before. What other people do should not determine what you do. If, if, what, if they want to leave, look, if, if you go into a church and they want to wear their jewelry and their makeup and listen to their worldly music, whatever, if that's what they want to do, why should you allow them to determine what you will do? No, I'm not going to give up Christ because you've already given him up. You know, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. You know, it doesn't mean you're a born-again child of God because you sing a hymn. I mean, that, that, that doesn't predicate the issue of determining who's a Christian or not. 
You know, Jesus said, by, by the fruit you shall know them. If you love me, keep my commandments. You know, Jesus didn't say at the end of time, you know, when he, when, when he, he returns and looks upon a servant, you know, it says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He doesn't say, well said, thou good and faithful servant. You know, you sung your hymn so good. That's not what he says. He says, well done, not well said. Listen to this. 6T. 401, she says, many who have strayed from the fold will come back to follow the great shepherd. Many. They're coming back. You know the sad thing is, though? How many of us have criticized those who have left? And we don't realize. They may be coming back and you may be going out. That's possible. I hope it doesn't happen, but it's possible. Jesus is coming. We've got a message to give. We've got a work to do. This weekend has been dedicated to the concept, or at least the preparing for the latter rain and getting ready to do the work of God. But we already know the will of God. We already know what God's required of us. It's not as though we're ignorant of that. At least we shouldn't be. We're wholly aware of what God requires. All we got to do is simply do it. God's given us the power. God's given us the willing, you know, the, the, the desires and so forth. He'll do it. He'll be there with us. We just got to do it. How many want to say with me, Lord, I've not been the Christian that I should have been. I'm not the person that I should be. Lord, I want to rise higher and holier in the state that I now find myself in. Lord, I want to be a, a deeper deeply committed to you, deeper than I've ever been before. Help me to be a difference and to make a difference in my school, in my home, in my church, in my family, in my community. How many of you want that in your life? You want to make a change of difference? God bless you. It's up to you. You've got to decide to make that change. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Now, Lord, please bless us and keep us. Help us to recognize our great need of thee. Cleanse us, O oh dear Lord, we pray. Help us to recognize, dear Lord, the work that lies before us and to be earnest about it. Now, Lord, once again, we've had a long, long day. Lord, please give us a good night's rest. Comfort us, dear Lord, with heavenly thoughts. Awaken us in the morning, dear Lord, to begin a new day that we can once again serve you. So continue to bless us, we pray, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.